Let us pray. Father God, in this word is more than any one sermon could contain. But give us clarity of thought, clarity of mind. Partake of this word this morning and to grasp on to that which is good for us. That's what which you desire us to hear this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to begin with a survey. A survey, and it does require participation. It requires your participation in the form of raising your hand. Children and adults, all of you, let's prove that we can raise our hand. Because I know, you know, Pennsylvania Dutch culture. No, no, keep it, keep it, keep it, Robin. I see you. All right. This is the question, and 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 as I ask a series of questions, keep your hand up if it's true of you. Put it down if it's not true. First, do you have Advent and Christmas decorations? Okay, do. Now, it doesn't have to be up, but somewhere in your house. It could be still in the basement and all that with collecting dust. But all right. Do you have wooden Advent and Christmas decoration? Do you have glass Christmas and Advent decoration? Do you have metal Advent and Christmas decoration? Do you have plastic Christmas and Advent decoration? Do you have cloth-based Advent, Christmas, and decorations? Do you have clay and pottery forms of Advent decoration? All right, you can put your hand down. I'm guilty of them all, right? Guilty of them all. Now let's imagine we had somebody visit our house. Let's say they're from North Korea. They've never... Uh, encountered a single Christmas decoration, a single Advent decoration, a single uh, decoration of any kind, whether wooden, plastic, whatever. What would you say to them? They asked you, why do you have all these decorations? Let's pretend you've really tricked out your house. It looks like a Hallmark store. You know, you flooded it with all. What would you say was your reason for all these decorations? Point. And this Korean, this North Korean might say, wow, what a religious person you are. Now let's imagine we take that same Korean and we go to Costco. What a religious store this is. We go to Walmart. What a religious place this is. What would start to happen with the idea of correlating Christmas decorations with religious, our religious nature. What would we say to that? Is that? Are they missing the point? They're missing the point. I bring this up at the beginning because when it comes to the story of Advent, when it comes to what we just read in Scripture, when it comes to that first wrestling with the truth claim of Christianity that God has come into the world, we need to ask ourselves 
What is the significance of it? What does this point to? What does this mean? Because the reality is in the biblical text that we just read, while it might be popular if we ask somebody, you know, if we went to Christians and said, for instance, if we asked a Christian, hey, why? Why weren't the Greeks ready for Jesus' coming? Or why weren't the Jews ready? Well, they, they just didn't know, I would think would be the most popular response Christians would say. I, I think that it would just kind of be in their biblical, like it almost be reflexive. They just, they weren't aware. They didn't know that there was this God coming. And yet, our passage today in Scripture doesn't really say that there is this wholesale ignorance of God. It actually says that whether Jew or Greek, basically, that everyone has this understanding of some sort of God. But when the first advent came, the, the people weren't ready. The people weren't ready. And so, when we think about these things, we think of the staggering shallowness of society's focus in this time of year. That God appointed a time, and yet the world was not ready for Advent. And it's not just that they weren't ready because they didn't know there was this idea of God. No, they actually had more of an idea of God than they ever dare imagine. And that's happening in our community right now. Whether people are in our, this church itself, but are in broader, our broader communities in which we live. We have neighbors, we have friends, we have uh maybe co-workers. I hope I don't have any co-workers. Uh, but we have co-workers who, who will get in fights about, you know, where we're having Christmas dinner this year, or they'll have arguments and, and they'll, they'll decorate their house to the nines, and yet they'll want nothing to do with the God who comes in this time of year. They'll put away all their decorations, all the accumulation of stuff that they've found at their sacred centers of Costco's and Walmarts and alike and, and Hallmarks, and they'll, they'll pack them away for another year and forget and move on from the coming of our Lord at Advent. And this is a very common problem. It actually reminds me of a story of a man by the name of A.J. Aker. And who he was, was he was for his time. He was once the, the chair, a chair of, a, uh, of philosophy at Oxford. In 1948, he debated C.S. Lewis, and he was an ardent atheist. And his, his atheism was that uh, self-contradictory kind of atheism where um, the only thing he knows for certain is things that can be proven for certain. And so how does he know that? 
but he, he was a, he basically uh, was always skeptical. And yet a year before his death, he wrote an article that kind of shocked the world. He talked about having a near-death experience. And he said in that near-death experience, he saw some celestial body, some uh, divine person in that experience that caused him to question his atheism. That gave him a little bit of trepidation on the matter of whether or not there is life after death. Whether or not this, you know, these Christianity truth claims are true. And then a couple weeks later, he retracted it. And he said, I just, it was a hallucination. I don't believe any of it. And he put that experience away. And he died proclaiming his disbelief in God. And A.J. Aker's experience is an experience that's happening all throughout our society right now. Where they will take out things and put things and celebrate things and remember tradition. And have all these little trinkets and all this pomp and circumstance and all these lights and all these decorations. And yet they'll put them away. They'll put them away. And they miss the point. They miss the point, not in their ignorance, not because they know nothing about the God who came, but he's just not interesting enough to capture their attention. As the Apostle John puts this dilemma, he was in the world, in verse 10, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. In all their philosophy and all their wisdom and all, uh, you know, just think of the classic Hellenistic greed. All of it made them miss God. And I think of the Apostle Paul on Mars Hill on chapter 17 of our passage. And here he was. He was approaching this group that continued to reject God. Mars Hill was um, a place where the pagan gods were worshipped, but also was very popular to debate and discuss the idea of the gods. And so here he goes and he approaches the men and women of Athens, and tells them about the unknown God. He makes known to them the name of God. And I have something that I'd like to say about it. We can say, and it's a lot easier to say from the pulpit, all of that not being from at, ready for Advent is out there. But could the Apostle Paul walk up to us? I know he could walk up to me and say something like the following of us and our faith and where we stand in relation to this moment of Advent. Could he say, men and women of old Goshenhoppen, 
I can see you are devoutly religious people every Sunday. As I have walked among you this Lord's Day, however, I notice other altars competing for your worship in your homes. On Sunday here at church, your voices ring with gospel hymns and seeming praise. Yet weekday playlists reveal idolizing artists and music promoting values askew to Christ's call. For some of you, you attend Bible studies and Sunday school striving to better dissect Scripture. Yet how you talk with one another is more grounded in cynicism and not in kingdom vision. The prayer meeting petition seems so spiritual and vibrant. And yet, where are your prayer practices when you're not in front of others? In the sanctuary, you serve communion bread as saints. But household conversations around the dinner table often delve into coarse humor without care. You sit and listen to the Word of God, highlighting the centrality of God. Whereas personal budgets show so much of your self-centered spending. And our personal calendars show so much about our self-centered activity. You come here to a place covered in dynamic craftsmanship and artistic beauty. And yet you leave here, many seeking art, which is often crass and profane and mind-numbing. So while I commend your Sunday commitment to church attendance, bored expressions of watching intently on how long it all takes suggest you have somewhere more important to be in your mind. You seem to sing the praises with greater vigor when watching sporting events, with greater expressions of celebration and thanksgiving rather than when you open the hymnal. In short, the apostle might conclude of us, might this worship service celebrating the advent of Christ be at born at times less out of genuine thanksgiving for Christ and more born out of a sense of pattern routine and dutiful obligation. How close was that to the mark? I know much of it was close to the mark for me. I'd like to be able to say, oh, I'm a Christian. I moved beyond all that missing of Christ's business not appreciating his advent and his coming. And yet I'd be lying to you if I pretended that that was always the case. No, rather, as the Apostle John writes in verse 12, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. That's not just a statement of 2,000 years ago in a, about a Galilean desert, but it's a battle we too as believers must fight against in the temptations of this life. The Christian walk is one where we often are not ready to receive the fullness of the reality of the coming of Christ. In short, we have a tendency to separate out our lives from spiritual activities and those other activities that really fill up our, the course of our life because we don't really want to embrace the Lordship of Christ in all things. This is why, for instance, after this sermon, the first thing we will do as a co congregation will be to privately and then corporately confess our sin. 
I can't wait for the week. I can't wait for the day where that confession will go away, but that will not go away in this lifetime because try as we might to the best of our ability when we leave this place, sometimes when we just get simply downstairs, sometimes when we get to the parking lot, sometimes even sooner than that, we fall into the pattern of forgetting the matter of Christ's coming and allowing the lordship of the king who's come, who has come change us in dramatic ways. We need to be reminded every week of grace because every week we are quick to forget the implications of the coming of Christ. And do you look forward to that day? Do you look forward to that day where we'll never have to confess our sin once again? If so, then take heart from passages such as John chapter 1, verse 12, that are there to renew us. But to all who did receive him, to believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What this verse is saying to us is the matter that being connected to God is not about us. It's about God coming for us. Being connected by God is not based on what we have done, but being connected to God is what He has done. It's trusting in Him and His name. See, this passage is telling us that Everyone, again, realizes that there is a God. It's almost, they have a, an understanding, but they don't know the name that saves, and they can't hear the name and see the name that saves in a clear kind of way. I'm going to illustrate it in a couple ways. First, let's only use primary colors. What's the color of this carpet? Oh, primary colors. Burgundy person. I don't know who it was, but come on. What primary colors are you talking about? It's red. Do you realize if a bumblebee flew in here, a bee cannot see the color red. A bee would see the carpet, actually, if you're wondering, so you don't have to Google it, uh, a bee would see the carpet as blue. Some, for some reason, they just don't have that wavelength. They can't see it. But they could see it. We had somebody come in here. Somebody's in here today that's colorblind with red. It, they can't see, or burgundy. Uh, they, they can't see, you know, the color, but they would know there's a carpet there. That's kind of the idea of these passages. That there, there's something they can see, but they, they can't see it with the clarity that others can see. And as verse 13 in John's passage makes clear, how can they see? They see not because of what they've done, but because God, of what God does. God reveals, God shows, God displays, God calls. And I mention that for this reason. 
right now the Lord's brought everybody here to. And maybe for some of you, you really, you come here, you sit, and you really don't believe. Really, when it comes to your faith life, it's, it's just like those Advent decorations. You bring it out on occasion, but you really know deep down you're not really living in a way guided by him. That's not a God who wants to waste your time. He's called you here today to hear his name, to hear that he's come, hear that he's saved. But the reality is I have no silver bullet to get you to believe. I, I can't do it in my own strength. Uh, it's a little bit like this. When I was a young kid, we, were, we had all sorts of games on the cul-de-sac and the block and, and, and the Carter's lawn. Carter's had a good lawn for football baseball. When Mrs. Demler called in her children for dinner, did I go? I didn't go. When... Mrs. Carter called in her children for dinner. Did I go? No. And we can live a pattern in life where maybe you've heard about Christmas for years and years, decades, decades, and you've never really counted the cost. You, you, you kind of know Jesus, but, but you're colorblind to really how that changes your entire life. How that changes everything from now on. God's calling to you in his word this morning. God's calling to you through the coming of his first advent this morning. And God desires you to respond to that. But the reality is he does the opening up of the ears. He'll, he'll let you know. And if you are, you're his child. When you're his child, you're his forever. And so if you came here this morning and and, you know, maybe your Saturday night, you were thinking, oh, the drudgery of church on Sunday. Or, or the real thing you were looking forward to is see if Jalen Hurts defeats the 49ers later on this evening with the Eagles. Isn't that just another trinket? Isn't that just another idol that's distracting you from sitting in the awesome reality? of the coming of our Savior. We have so many of them. We're idol factories. This is why we can read these words and if you have ears to hear, they're wonderful words. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh, not not by who they, what family they were born into or, or just they tried really hard, but of God. Now, we're Americans. We know the idea of rights, or at least we used to. Um, what's our first amendment right? The freedom of speech. What's our second amendment right? Freedom to bear arms, which are really cool. I've always wanted those claws. Um, bad joke, bad joke, sorry. Um, here we have the scriptures saying, you believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you have rights as children of God. And yet having rights as children of God also means that 
You heed the calls of the family. You know, if Chris Demler and Katie Demler did not heed the voice of their mother calling them into dinner, how would she have taken that? Advent is a time for us to heed the name of Christ. Respond to that name, that name above every name. As a Christian, this is your right. Your right is that if you believe and receive the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are God's child. And that's something that the theology of Buddha, the theology of Islam, they, 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 can't, they can only offer you methods to get on the treadmill of life and try to work your way to heaven. And it's like flapping your wings trying to fly to the sun. And yes, you don't have wings. But this is your right in biblical Christianity. And this is why we want to, at this time of year, to be a people sharing that name above every name with others. In 19 years of my life, I heard the name of Jesus and I did not respond to it. I, I remember piously pretending I responded. I remember one service. It was a, like something Mary worship service at the beginning of May in the Roman Catholic Church. And I was kind of like at the front of the church, sitting on the side where everybody could see me. And, and it was packed to the gills. And, and I decided in my mind, I'm going to look really spiritual in this service. You know, like everything's impacting me from this priest and what he's saying. And I remember afterwards, like people started to come up to me and say, oh, you, you might be a priest someday. None of the name meant anything to me. I was just going through the charade. I was just going through the motions. Apostle Paul could have walked up to me and said, Kevin, I perceive you are very religious, but... I was lying with the outward face, appearance of faith and religion, and yet a piety that only was on display when others looked. And yet there is a name. There is a name of a God who, by this name, we can be saved. That we have a right that isn't unalienable, that can never be taken away. And he's drawn you here so that you might hear his name this name that is true light of true life. There is nothing outside that can save you. Only this name can save you. The purpose of the first advent was that so Christ might tear away the ignorance of all, that all humanity shared in this divine name, whether Greek or Jew. And yet, Advent is also a reminder for us as Christians that we are awaiting God's second coming. And as we await that second coming, we are to desire to see darkness uh, broken in this world and beaten back by light. And so how can we leave here and break down darkness? Well, then you just need to look at what the Apostle Paul does. In Acts chapter 17, he goes to a hill, a most famous hill, and he shares a name. He shares a name that was unknown. And 
And we often think it's, it's incredibly hard to share this name. It's really not. If you know the Christmas story, you know what to share. If just as you would know to share to a colorblind person that the carpet is burgundy <laughs> or red, either will do. Paul approaches these pagans, these godless pagans, and, and he ends up quoting, first off, or alluding to 36 different passages in the Old Testament, far too many for me to cover today. If you want a list of them, text me or email me. He shares the word of God. Then he also uses a line from one of their favorite hymns. This hymn was written in 600 B.C., and it's we move and breathe and have our being. In him we move and have our being, and it's like the Taylor Swift lyric of his day. And he says, see that verse and that song? There, you can actually get the lyrics to the entire melody. But he captures one verse, and he says, see that there? That verse is singing about my God. So maybe you have an opportunity this year to go to a home, to go to a family member, to go to a friend who might even enjoy all the decoration, the elaborateness of this season of Advent, and they might enjoy all these trinkets, and yet they don't appreciate the name. Share the name. Share the name with others. The light broke into the world so that we might share the light with others. That is our call of Advent. That is our response to his coming for our salvation. That is our response to the name that is above every name. The name of Christ is not just a decoration in your life that you put away when it's no longer needed. So may we make a commitment today to permanently take down the decoration that obscure the true light of Christ, that he might illuminate every area of our lives until his glorious second advent, when he returns in a glory and we behold him face to face. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we knew even the Apostle Paul as he reveals the story to them. He talked about how they needed to repent, how they, the time is now that there is no more, more time to tarry for them to embrace the name that is above every name. And Lord, for many of us in this room, we believe, Lord, but help our unbelief. Help those areas in our lives where we do not want the Lordship of Christ in it. We do not want him to grab a hold of it. We pray like Augustine used to pray at one time before knowing you, Lord, Lord, make me chaste, make me pure, but not yet. Let us rather seek the daylight, the bright light of your salvation today. Let it no longer uh, be a trinket that we just trifle with, but really something that changes our walk 
for the rest of our lives. Let us no longer be colorblind to the goodness of our And we pray that we might share the name, Lord. So many times we can stumble in lack of courage or, or self-doubt, Lord, but your name is a name above every name. And every time we share that name, you have a purpose behind that sharing of the name. And so let us truly seek the purpose of your coming, which is not only to live in the light, but to call others to the glorious light that is your salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let us take a moment to quietly and privately confess our sins before the Lord.